Welcome to Uncancelled Faith, a podcast that strives to break the culture of division, which so often separates Christians from one another. I'm your host, Hannah Rose Russell, and I'm so excited to have you here today. This podcast is an Inspire Truth production and aims to create a safe space for people to bring new perspectives on topics that are frequently controversial or fall victim to cancel culture. Through thought-provoking conversations, we will challenge the norms, embrace God's unique calling on our lives, and find unity in our shared love for the Messiah. So grab yourself a drink and pull up a chair, because Uncancelled Faith starts now. Today, I am honored to introduce you to Caroline George, the multi-award winning young adult author of Dearest Josephine and The Summer We Forgot. I've been a fan of Caroline's for some time and cannot tell you how long I have waited to finally connect and have this conversation with her. She is an incredible writer who isn't afraid to be vulnerable on social media, especially during the newest season of her life, which I'm excited to discuss with her today. So Caroline, welcome to Uncancelled Faith. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so nice to finally, I guess, meet you through the screen. Yeah, for sure. We've we've been connected for a few years, but we've mm-hmm. never actually talked. And I've loved yeah. watching your many adventures and your beautiful photographs and words. So to have this time, I'm it's the highlight of my week. Probably month oh. or year. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So for those who might not be familiar with you, can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you came to faith in Jesus? Yeah, so my name is Caroline George, and I'm the author of Dear Josephine and The Summer We Forgot, both published with uh, Thomas Nelson, HarperCollins. I currently reside in a little tiny town in Wyoming, but I'm originally from Georgia, and I guess just a quick little bit about me. So I was born and raised in Georgia. I went to school in Nashville, Tennessee at Belmont University. I have worn many different hats in publishing and now I work for a ranch. But when it comes to my faith journey, uh, I became a Christian when I was five, six years old. Uh, I was really, I remember the exact pajamas I was wearing when I, when I um, asked Jesus as, uh, to be my Lord and Savior. But I would say that my real relationship with him didn't really start until middle school because I knew about God, but it wasn't until I was really being bullied in middle school and I felt totally alone. And I remember the exact place I was, I was walking outside of my school and I was like, God, I feel so alone. And I remember the Lord telling me, well, you have me. And it it kind of began this journey where like God became real for me. And I think that in everyone's journey, everyone's faith journey, you know, there comes has to be a point where it's real to them, where it's more than just something you hear on a Sunday morning. And so that kind of began my relationship. Um, I mean, I was raised in the church. My, my mom was in ministry. And so I saw religion, but it wasn't until like middle and high school that like my journey really became that relationship. And so, um, you know, I found a church that I liked and kind of started walking with the Lord more intentionally, I would say then. And then in college, then that's when, um, like, I think it became even more vibrant of a relationship. But um, yeah, that's a little bit about my journey. And it's still going. (laughs) It's still going. I feel like I learn a little bit more every single day. But uh, to be where I'm at now, where I just really see, I think the big thing I'm learning is that God is kind and that, you know, God offers grace and that, um, you know, some that not all lessons are painful. And I think that coming out of a hard season, 
how I viewed God was, was very different than, um, how I'm viewing him now. Cause I think he's showing me just how, just how kind he is. And, um, so I'm just really soaking all that in, but yeah, that's a comprehensive <laughs> overview of, of who I am, I guess. No, I love that. I have a similar story. I was about five or six, like you, I don't remember the PJs I was wearing, but my parents <laughs> had just put me to bed and I came down and I think my aunt who wasn't, who isn't a believer was there at the house and I just said I want to ask Jesus into my heart and my mom's like oh you're just trying to get out of going to bed like go back to bed and and my dad's like I'll come up and so we prayed together <laughs> but then you're just trying to get out of going to bed <laughs> yeah that was my so mom. she's like oh no you're just trying to get out of bed and then she goes okay no dad go off and and pray with her so that happened but then like you said you get to know religion but then it's not until you learn relationship with God that faith really, really mm-hmm. grows. And so that mm-hmm. was, for me, probably 18 was a big turning mm-hmm. point where it mm-hmm. became solidified and was like, okay, this is serious. It's either follow God with all your heart or follow your own heart for your own destructive ways. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful I chose the right path. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. So you graduated from Belmont University, like Mm -hmm. you said, um, and you got to have a degree in publishing and public relations. So you've always wanted to work in the publishing industry, but did you always dream of being a published author? Well, I started telling stories before I could even hold a crayon. My mom, I would tell stories to my mom. She'd write them down for me and I would illustrate them. Um, I, I was a voracious reader when I was younger. Like, I, I mean, I could read a, a book easy in the day. Like I was flying through books. And so there was always this dream of being a writer, being an author. I think at one point my dad tried to convince me to be a lawyer when I was a little kid, like, because he was like, oh, you like Nancy Drew, you should be a lawyer. Um, But there was always this dream to be an author. And um, when I was in middle school, I really got into writing fan fiction. And and like I kind of said before, middle school was a really hard time for me. And I think in a lot of ways, um, God used writing to save my life and like Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so I kind of used writing to escape and I, I I wrote Chronicles of Narnia fan fiction. That was my thing. Okay. Um, I was I was I was really popular in school, obviously. And the the funniest thing was I was the main character. I was Queen Caroline, the courageous. It's okay. I can talk about it now. Um, no, I, but I love started... that. So, cool. <laughs> so I used to post it on a teen, like a little like teen writing website, like my little fan fiction. And I had 60,000 weekly readers of my Chronicles of Narnia, Dang. Queen Caroline fan fiction. So of course, knowing nothing about publishing, I just assumed I would publish my Narnia fan fiction and become a bestselling author and retire by 25 in a beach house. And that was going to be my life. Well, no, uh, but I had a English teacher who I'm still best friends with who um, she just I saw potential in me and was like, Hey, why don't you try writing your own like original book? And um, which was so sweet of her. And I think part of it was, she saw potential, but also another part where she was like, don't please stop writing this Chronicles of Narnia fan fiction. Uh, but it, the, the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year, I started working on an original book. It was terrible, but I wrote the second one. And at that point, I just felt like I just fell in love with um, writing and writing my own stuff. And I'd always like written my own short stories, but to complete an original novel, 
you know, for me, I was writing, like it was, that's when I was like really writing for me and just for my own enjoyment. But um, the second book in the series ended up being the first one that I self-published, but um, I tried to get traditionally published. Uh, I reached out to literary agents and everyone said I was too young. And to be honest, nowadays, that's not really the case. People don't really care about age. It's more about, you know, quality of work. But at the time, that's just part of my story. I had people just tell me, oh, you know, you, got, you have potential, but come back to us in 10 years and we'll see how you do. But I was stubborn and really felt a deep calling that I, I knew I was supposed to be a storyteller. And so I started looking into self-publishing. And this is before Create, like Kindle Unlimited was on the scene for Create Space was on the scene before really any self-publishing options were available. Um, ebooks were brand new to the market and everyone was freaking out thinking that every brick and mortar store were, were you know, was going to go under and books like, like hardback books were going to go extinct. You know, everyone, everyone in publishing was panicking, but the very first ebook I ever read was eBooks for dummies. I downloaded it onto my dad's iPad and I learned step-by-step, step, you know, how to, to, how to edit a book, how to format a book, how to code it, how to upload it into different distributors, websites. I mean, cause it was very, you know, you had to do things. It was a lot more technical than it is now. And uh, did I do everything right? Definitely not. <laughs> Made a lot of mistakes. I did not hire a professional editor. I had my English teacher and several teachers help edit it. And um, that was that was pretty much my process. Instead of hiring a cover designer, I hired a photographer and like had a whole out, like full out cover shoots for these books. I mean, it was fun, but I pretty much did everything wrong. But it did teach me how to develop a thicker skin, um, how to advocate for myself and for my stories, like how to see it more as a business. And it's really cool how God connects everything because in in college, it was my self-publishing background that landed me some pretty big internships because it, it was still so new. And so it all connected. But um, I guess that's a really long answer to tell you, yeah, pretty much as long as I can remember um, writing stories and being able to share them has been the dream. I think so many people don't realize how thick of a skin you need to be an author. And it is a big trial and error thing. I'm nervous about that because I'm working on my debut novel and I'm like, I know I don't have the thickest skin, but I need it for this. But then I'm also trusting in God. So it's that perseverance that you need to keep mm -hmm. going because you know mm -hmm. is in your blood. So you, mm -hmm. you have to go for it because there's too many people out there saying, oh, it's such a competitive field. You're never gonna get known. It's never gonna happen. Your chances are one in a million. And that's not, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have it to doesn't. be. It doesn't, no, it doesn't. And this was something um, one of my friend's moms told me. She says, someone has to do it. So why can't that person be you? Mm -hmm. And that always stuck with me. Cause I'm like, you know what, why Why can't it be me? And even if it, it, even if it isn't in the way that I'm expecting, you know, it's when those things where it's like, I think a lot of publishing is just managing expectations mm -hmm. um, because and going into it with the right intentions, because I think if we approach it of like, OK, I want this book to sell this amount of copies. I want to get this level of exposure. If it doesn't hit these points, then it's failure. When in reality, 
you're like, okay, they're privileged to tell the story and for someone to read it, that's a success. However many people who read it, you know, that's a success because the book was meant to reach them, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and so I think it's like managing those expectations, celebrating those little milestones. And I think when it comes to publishing, it's easy to see it as all these finish lines of being like, okay, I will be happy when I can get here or when I can get here. And the truth is there's never really a finish line because the moment you get to that point, you've already figured out what your next finish line is going to be. And it becomes this rat race and exhausting if you're constantly measuring yourself, you know, weighing yourself against others or weighing yourself against your own expectations. And so I found that any way I can to kind of break it down and not, not put so much pressure on it, to not, um, you know, put these unattainable goals on it really helps. But yeah, thick, thick skin, um, it's art, art subjective. You could have a bunch of people look at a Picasso painting. Half the people would say they like it. The other half might say, mm, or like a portion might say they hate it. Then you might have a portion that just simply doesn't get it. And it's the same thing with the book. So you, just because you get a bad review doesn't mean the book's bad. It just means it wasn't for that person. Um, and books are mirrors, you know, we, they reflect us. We, we take from them what we, what we bring to them. And so, um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't hit with, it doesn't resonate with certain people, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it totally is. And if we think about it, there's, I'm sure it's a saying, I'm pretty sure it's not a Bible verse, but it's like, if you can, if you can minister to even one person, Mm -hmm. then the work will be worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we need to understand. I think we live in a time where we want to hit the bestseller list or mm-hmm. we want to be able to make a full living off of the craft that we do. But at the end of the day, God's called us to do it not for the money, but for his glory and to serve others. So mm-hmm. to be able to do that and then to be content in that and not have that higher expectation, I think that definitely helps. So then when you do reach that goal, it's just as a surprise and blessing to you. Mm-hmm. Like, and also, isn't it Picasso? Or I mean, there's so many artists who during their lifetimes, their work was hated by everyone. They didn't make any money off it and then they die and it's now worth millions or billions of dollars. That, that tends to be the trend. That yeah. really seems to be the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So don't worry if you're not known in your time because just wait till you're dead. (laughs) Can go on someone's tombstone. Check me out at this website a few years from now. Hashtag at author. Yes. (laughs) This day and age, yeah. So what is what is the writing process like for you? Does it differ from each book? Because your books are so different from one another. I would definitely say that they they're different for every single book. Um, I would say that at the beginning, a lot of my outlining looks um, about the same, I would say, because I'm, I'm given only a handful of months to write a book. And so I, it's like, you gotta, you know, hit the ground running. And so I will, I would, most of my outlines are about 30 pages long. I mean, I'll start with, okay, what is a one sentence, you know, elevator pitch for this story. You know, how can I condense it into one sentence? And then I expand on that. Okay, what? How would I condense it, condense it into two, three sentences? And then, you know, so on. Um, but I think the big thing that I like to start with, even beyond that, is figuring out. Okay, what is my why? Like, I'm a why person. I have to know the reason I'm doing something because I found that if a book doesn't have a core message that I believe in, then it becomes a lot easier to walk away from it. Yeah. And so pinpointing that. Okay. What is this book really about? 
you know, why am I writing it? What's going to be the takeaway? You know, what are my core themes? And then figuring that out and then working the plot from that tends to really help. But I like to describe my outlining process like throwing a rock into a pond. You know, you throw a rock, you have that initial, you know, that initial strike point and then it ripples out. And that's kind of how I like I like to outline. I like to create that initial impact, you know, and slowly start building from there. And so that's how the outlines end up being 30 pages long. But I found find that if I do a lot of that legwork up front, you know, do a lot of my research up front, then it at least smooths out the process um, sure. to an extent. And the first drafts are usually coherent and um, some like they're somewhat decent um, because of that legwork. But beyond that, I would say that each process is 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 different. I mean, every book has tested me in different ways. I mean, with Dearest Josephine. When Thomas Nelson picked that book, they picked it out of just about 13 concepts that I pitched them and they picked that one. And at the time it, it had been an adult romance book that I had converted to YA. And I was like, this is too weird. No one's going to go for this. Like it's too abstract. And so when they went for it, that was the first time I had ever written third person professionally, like for to be published. Um, and so learning that voice, like, trying to view the story almost is almost like a play to where a lot of actions happening off off the page to where it's like a lot of it's happening like off scene and um, it was a very different thing to figure out and to balance okay I need to figure out how to capture a, a regency tone while also still feeling modern you know or at least relatable to the modern reader uh, so that was super interesting and then with the summer we forgot it was like okay let's strip back this voice and try to make it really contemporary, really YA. And now we're almost doing this, like, this mystery that's like, you know, the summer camp, almost CW network kind of story. So it was a super different process. And also mapping out a mystery like that, like a murder mystery is, um, it's it's, it's a lot harder than (laughs) I think people think, just because you have to know the ending, but then figure out how to sprinkle clues and lead lead readers off track enough to where every single chapter you need to pinpoint, okay, who do I want the reader to suspect in this chapter? And so, um, you know, that one was that whole process. I mean, that one was that one was difficult, because I wrote the first draft and then worked with my editor and then we kind of changed some foundational things and then I rewrote it. And so um, that's kind of what that process looked like. But with curses and other buried things, I would say that, that this book is the most me out of any books I've written. I feel like I didn't have to try to alter my voice or get into character. I felt like in a lot of ways, the characters told me who they were and it flowed naturally. Um, and so much of it, it's about 85% per really personal stuff um, that, you know, I've novelized and fictionalized and all of that. But um, so to be able to bring all of that together, it was a very, I, I feel like a natural thing. I, and during the editing process, I think the, the biggest things were figuring out, okay, how do we make this um, best for fiction? You know, so certain names were like spellings were changed. Um, there were certain things that were altered away from, I guess, the real life narrative or like the tr- the factual narrative just to make it easier to to read and digest. But um, yeah, I, every outline is this the commonality. But I feel like once I get into the writing, especially the editing, that's where things start to diverge and look a little differently. 
Do you think your internships with publishings and even working at publishing houses mm. helped with that because you saw how other authors were submitting their books? So I worked on the marketing side. So um, when it comes to acquisitions, I didn't really have a handle on that. But I will say, I think that, you know, we're doing the self-publishing stuff in high school and then going to school for publishing and having these internships. It really taught me the business itself. And I feel like a lot of aspiring authors and writers approach the industry as, okay, I have this piece of art that I want to share with people, you know, help me share it instead of, okay, I've created this art, but now it's a product. And how do I sell this product and um, advocate for myself and be a good business person, you know, within this industry. Um, And there's a switch. And because, you know, with art, it's really personal. But when it becomes a product, you kind of switch gears and you're like, okay, how do I be strategic about this? How do I partner with others? You become a lot more collaborative when you view it that way. Um, So I think working in publishing taught me that aspect of it, but then also just the, the public relations and marketing side of, okay, we have this book, now how do we sell it? Because, you know, if I want to write more books, I have to be able to sell my previous book, you know? Um, so I think the internships definitely helped me with that. And also just to know the process of, you know, how to pitch, you know, or what's actually selling, um, you know, and that and that kind of stuff. So I think it helped with the business side for sure. And it's definitely been a reward. I mean, your books have, I, were you expecting them to be as popular as they are? I love that you think they're popular. That's so nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I see. I I think again, success is so subjective, and um, you know, I'm very very grateful for where I'm where I'm at. Um, and I think for me, there's been a lot of like measuring expectations. But the hard thing is with when it comes to books, it's hard to know their reach. I mean, I get a quarterly report of you know, how many books have been purchased. But even from that, I mean, you don't really, that doesn't even tell you how many people have actually read the book or how far it's gone. And not everyone who reads the book posts about it on social media or leaves a review. And, um, you know, it's, so it's hard to gauge its reach. And, you know, when it comes to like awards and accolades, I think all authors want these like accolades. Um, but I mean, publishing is, it's a quiet, it is a quiet industry. And, you know, for all all the hoopla that you might see on social media. I mean, really, it's really, it's super, it's really quiet. And um, yeah, you just, you never really know a book's reach. So I'm grateful that you think that they're super popular. Um, I will say I'm, I'm super blessed by every single reader who's picked up the book and every reader who's posted about it or has emailed, has emailed me because um, that's been really encouraging and kind of affirmed that, um, you know, I was supposed to write those books, you know? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you've got fan art being made for Dear, Dearest Josephine. <laughs> I love it. And people, there was, there was like costumes. People are dressing up in costumes. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, that was pretty cool. That was cool. I was like, that's, that's like a, that's something I never would have expected. That's that, um, I think it was Victoria on Instagram. She made these costumes and did this whole like cosplay. And I, I think that was one thing I'm like, I never even put that on my author bucket list, but now it's there and now I can put a check. So that was just so sweet. Um, yeah, just the community has been, has been amazing to see people's response um, and to see it. The book means so much to certain people. Um, like, I, I don't think I could have ever fully hoped for that. Um, 
so yeah it's been really cool (laughs) well you talk about writing being a quiet um Mm -hmm. process but you certainly make it loud i mean (laughs) when you were writing the summer we forgot you were in hawaii and your pictures were incredible but i know that it wasn't all clear waters and tropical uh weather was it (laughs) no but the thing is it was one of those situations to where i didn't even know my roommate at the time so uh so I, i worked at the guest services desk at my church and i um like on sunday mornings i just volunteered that was my full spot but I um, I met a, a lady through there, and she and I became friends. And she told me, "Oh, my daughter is you know still in college, but she wants to go live in Hawaii for the summer. You should go with her, because I mean, she knew that I worked remote, so like it was super easy for me to just kind of grab my laptop and go wherever. And I was like, okay, sure, thinking nothing of it. Like I was like." no like i can't afford this i'm trying to live off an author salary like that's not gonna happen um but her daughter ended up calling me the next day and like i did not know her did not know her from adam um i mean i think we had met maybe once yeah i think we met once but she had messaged she called me and she was like you know i know you said that you she's like would you be open to going and um I was like, okay, let me think about it. And so I thought about it for a second and I started texting a response to tell her, "Mm, no, this is not smart. But I was with my youngest sister at the time and my sister looks at me and she was like, why would you say no? Like, why wouldn't you go? And I thought about it for a second and I'm like, like, you know what, you're right. Like, why would I say no? And so I crunched the numbers and I kind of made a list. I was like, okay, God, if you want me to go, these are some things that I need taken care of. I was like, I need to be able to, you know, this is my budget for it. This is what I need, blah, blah, blah. Within two hours, everything was was fixed and solved and in order. And within two hours, I was going to Hawaii. Um, so it's kind of crazy how it came to be. And I think it was just another thing of, learning to say yes to opportunities um getting in the like before i think a lot of times we instinctually want to say no to things like it's just our first reaction you know we're just like oh i'm good or no thanks or that's not practical and we move Mm -hmm. on where i think i'm trying to i'm learning to be in the habit of letting my first instinct to be to say yes but then holding myself back and be like okay let me let me let me make sure this makes sense but i think that i want my first reaction always be okay cool opportunity let's say yes, but then let's figure this out, you know? Um, but yeah, we lived in a one room studio apartment. We were paying out the nose for it. Um, it was infested with cockroaches and every morning it was called whack a roach. That was the game we invented. So my roommate, her name was, her name's Mabry, but we, she would turn on the light and you would just see the cockroaches scatter and she would be screaming and then i would get up and just start hitting as many cockroaches (laughs) as as i could Um, we also found out that you really need to store even your dry goods inside of the refrigerator Mm -hmm. um because there was one morning i opened a box of i think it was like triscuits i think (laughs) like little crackers and I reached in, ate a triscuit, and then all of a sudden a roach crawled out of the, the box. And I'm Aww. like, and I mean, no. we were paying so much money for this place. Uh, but that's Hawaii, it's just expensive. But we would work, she could, because my um, my roommate, she was working a job from all, that was based on the East Coast, um, or maybe it was Utah time. It might have been mountain time. 
anyway, we would have to wait. We would start work at 4 a.m., work until around noon, and noon, you know, to something like that. And then we would eat lunch and then go to the beach. Um, so we went to bed super early. We, we ate a lot of rice and ground beef because it was the cheaper thing to eat. Um, but beyond all of those little things, um, it was really a, a beautiful time for me, just in the sense of I was very much at peace and I liked the sand and going to the ocean and Mabry and I ended up becoming super close friends um, because we were pretty much bonded at the hip for, for the whole time we were there. Um, I mean, I thought maybe we would go and meet other people and that's just, we ended up kind of being on our own. And so I think the longest time we were apart was our flight back to um, the mainland. Uh, so that was, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna miss you so much. I'm like so used to having you everywhere. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really special and editing the book there, you know, um, at least having the beach around it, I think it, it made it even more fun to write. Yeah. It added to the feel because uh, the yeah. song is based in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So you could have the water and, and you could be going to the and just have the Outer Banks feel, even though you're in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love what you said about just being able to say yes instead of no immediately. Mm-hmm. I did that the beginning, well, last year, I guess, um, when... Kyle Young, who, because you're part of his literary agency, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got a serious writers um, literary agency um, and website, and so they did a Italy writers retreat, mm-hmm. and they broadcasted it, I think, back in May or June or something uh, last year, and it came up on my feed, and I'm like, that would be fun to go to. Nah, I can't afford it. There's no way I could go. So I, like you, immediately just was like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And just throughout the day, God nudged me and was like, no, put, put your name down. And he just provided for me in ways you wouldn't imagine. And I was able to live out some incredible bucket lists and dreams of mine going to Italy. I spent an extra week there and I'm obsessed with Letters to Juliet, the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that movie. So it's I so went good. to Verona and Sienna uh-huh. and followed in the footsteps of Sophie and like taking pictures. I went to yeah. the resort they stayed at and got a tour and took pictures of the hotel. Was, <laughs> I loved it. I love it, that's it amazing. It was so embarrassing, but I don't care because it was No, like, no, that's amazing. Yeah, it's like you with your uh, fan fiction. <laughs> no, I think yours is a little much cooler than my fan fiction for sure. Know, letters fan to Ju- letters- is very popular and gets it popular made out of it sometimes <laughs> yeah well um verona i've never been it looks amazing and i do love letters to juliet so i don't blame you <laughs> it's beautiful verona is a must go so most of us only catch a glimpse of the pu- of what a life as a published author looks like but you mm-hmm. aren't shy of sharing the ups and downs so mm-hmm. what have you experienced or learned through through these years of being from an indie author to being in internships mm-hmm. and then published? Mm-hmm. Well, publishing is a business. And I think that that is an important thing to know is that even though publishing professionals love books and, you know, they're in their job because they love books at the end of the day, it does boil down to numbers. Um, and I think that as an author, you know, you, it's like, you don't always think about, think about that. I mean, in a publishing house, um, every single author is allotted a marketing budget, but the author will not know that marketing budget. Um, so it can be anything be- between 
no money whatsoever um, and hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on your publisher. And, you know, the author doesn't know. It's the publisher deciding which author they think is going to sell the best. Mm. And then they put money with that. And so it really is a money game. And I think that that's like kind of a hard pill to swallow sometimes, um, you know, in publishing is that you might not get that big budget, you know, that the publisher really decides how they're going to position your book. Um, and I've learned too that that publishers in a lot of ways determine the success of the book you know like if you're with a really big publisher that's decided your book is going to be this like front list you know big seller they're going to put a bunch of money at you know throw a bunch of money at it they're going to be able to get it placement you know in different bookstores they're going to be able to secure um just media coverage and all those different things pre-orders they'll be able to secure pre-orders and then the book's a new york times bestseller and it's um it's really not about the the success of the book per se it's more about the publisher strategy leading up to it and um so yeah i think like navigating that and realizing that no matter what i do i i personally cannot guarantee the success of the book that you know i can work really really hard and sell copies and promote myself and all those things but my efforts are more of a support than they are kind of that frontlining endeavors, you know? Um, so I think that's been a big thing to learn, but the industry is really quiet. Um, you know, at least for me, like my, my experiences, I've, I've enjoyed working with my team for sure. Um, but I think that when I first came into signing like a three book deal with Harper, that I was expecting it to feel like this, you know, constant things happening you know i have this team of people they're gonna be messaging me every week we're all this big team player and really like i might hear from them maybe once a month like it's a much so really it's a really quiet situation um and a lot of ways i feel even though i know there's a team out there who's working kind of on the back end of the book you know it still feels like a very individual experience um so that's been i think a learning curve for sure and i think too when it comes to trying to make writing a full-time job I always thought okay if someone can someone can do it why can't that person be me you know it sure surely it can happen I'm like I've learned this industry backwards and forwards like I know that people are getting these six-figure advances like you know surely I can make this work and you know I had family members tell me there's no way this is going to happen for you like go get a real job um you know and I was living off my author advance and was broke to be perfectly honest i was like living in my family's basement for the majority of that time and working from a dining room table and getting by but barely because i was like determined that you know i was on the rise i was a starving artist you know and i was grateful to even have that job so um you know, I was trying to get as much out of it as I could. And it's cool that I'm on this podcast with you because this is the first time that I'm really actually, I guess, saying all of this, because I think for the longest time I thought, okay, if people found out how hard it was, then they would think I was a failure in a lot of ways. And so now I don't care. <laughs> now, as you can tell with what's going on here, like, like I just really am at that place where it's like, whatever, you know, I'm just a lot more open, but um, I just thought I had people tell me, oh, you can't make author, being an author a full-time gig unless you're married. And then I had people who were like, look at other people, look at all these other authors, especially the females, married, 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 married. Because they're like financially, it, it makes sense. Even if you're a big author, I mean, you get paid in chunks. So like you might get a huge check, but that has to last you until your next big check. 
And so they're like, oh, financially, you're not going to be able to figure that out. Or, or they're like, you'll, you know, be a teacher or you need to have this other gig to yeah. support being a full-time author. And so I was just like, no, 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 I feel called to this. God's going to make a way. And in my eyes, eyes, how I saw him making a way looked a certain way instead of um, me being open to it. And I just thought, you know, anything other than being a novelist was failure to me because that had been a lifelong dream. I mean, it, like since I was a little kid, you know, that was that was the end goal for me. And so even the thought of doing anything else gave me intense anxiety. I mean, it was really it was hard. Um, but I will say that it is it's it is hard. I, I think the industry is not set up for authors to make it their full-time gig, which is unfortunate because authors put in so much time, work, effort. They're, they they juggle multiple things um, when it comes to publishing a book. And so I think that if the industry, even if it was set up more as a staff writer kind of position to where authors were on payroll and like they were, you know, it was set up to where it was more um, stable. Like, I think that that would help creatives as a whole. Um, but I mean, the industry is just not set up that way. And so, yes, there are authors who are able to do it. And um, I am so happy for the people who are able to get to that point. And maybe I'll get there one day too. But I've, I've reached a point now in my life where I'm like, okay, I think I have to be more open handed to the blessings that God might want to give me. And, um, you know, storytelling can look so many different ways. Writing can look so many different ways and not now doesn't mean not never. And so I think that that flexibility in my current season has been really helpful, but yeah, that's um, a a short, I guess that that would be considered a short overview of of some of the things that I've learned about publishing and and all of this. (laughs) Yeah, but it is so freeing once we finally let go and let God, because Mm -hmm. like you said, our callings, we, we could get to a point where we're like nothing else matters unless this is this is my goal this is what i need to do everything else it can't happen another way this is how Mm -hmm. i'm focusing on it and then it's it's only until or it's only um when we let go and we're like okay god just take it and have your hands open Mm -hmm. that you see the callings and and Mm -hmm. the and the gifts make way for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I think the a, a, an abundance mindset is really important. But I think to have that, we have to have open hands. And being where I'm at now, you know, working a job that I actually believe in and is so fun. I mean, I see how, in a way, it's freed me up because I think when when my life revolved around publishing, when I was, you know so dependent on that next check and to be able to even feed, you know, pay my bills to feed myself. And it was like success, success, success. Like that's all I could see, you know, Mm -hmm. anything other authors did, I would be like, okay, I'm happy for them. But then I'd feel this like pit in my stomach of like, oh, I have to do more if I want to go anywhere. And it was like this striving and it was exhausting. I was about to say it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, um, you know, and then I was like, well, I need to be better. And then it became this, this performance cycle. Mm-hmm. And so now to be in a place where like I have a book coming out in, in October, but I'm so much more open handed with it where I'm like, you know what this I for me to put a pin in my 
noveling novelist journey right now. I mean, I'm super proud that this is the book that I'm pausing on mm-hmm. because um, like, I think this is the, the best thing that I've ever written or the thing that I'm most proud of. And, um, but no, knowing that's coming out in October, I'm doing what I can do to promote on my end or to, you know, to be a support for my publisher, but also I'm a lot more open-handed because for me, it's not publishing isn't everything and it was mm-hmm. and um, a couple like a couple, even just months ago like it was and so to even see that and to see okay I had some unhealthy patterns I, so much of my emotions was tied to this you know now I'm a lot more steady because my emotions aren't tied to the outcome or even my well-being isn't tied to the outcome of this yeah. book and so now you know in, in the job that I have now like I work for a, a ranch out here and um you know, I'm their content marketing manager. So really they brought me in to tell their story. And so, you know, I write for them now and is it a novel? No, but they're like to be able to kind of to look at it more as a story of like, okay, how do I communicate this? And, Mm -hmm. and even beyond that, just to live life. I think, you know, even when after Dear Josephine, when I was committed to living my own story and not looking at fiction as a crutch or using it to escape. Um, I still think that when publishing was everything, when stories was everything, I mean, I was spending eight to 12 hours every day writing a, writing a novel, which was amazing and I loved it. But also there were times where I was like, you know, I'm spending all my life right now in these four walls, mm-hmm. you know, and even when I wasn't writing, I was thinking about fiction you know, there was not this clear unplugging. I mean, I would go for walks and be thinking, okay, how do I plot this? And again, I will, I, I think that my, my time writing is not over. I will hundred percent write another book. Um, you know, I know that that's still in the cards for me, but to take a step back and to actually feel like I'm living my own story. I don't think I've ever felt more present than I do in this season um, because I'm not thinking about where I want to go next because I'm actually very content here. Um, I'm not thinking about the next book I want to write or, you know, what's happening in this fictional world that I'm working on. I'm able to actually just be here and focus on life and meeting new people um, and just like living my own story. And it's been crazy because once I started seeing my own life as a story, I start to see the plots. I've actually, you know, I guess I'll tell you because, you know, it's, it's us and I guess whoever's listening, but <laughs> I've started working on, it's just right now a really rough sketch, but I'm calling it the frontier year. And it's just, I'm kind of just doing a quick little journal entry of every single day for this first year that I'm out here. And I'm doing it for me, but I've had a lot of people already reach out and be like, we want to book about what's going on in your life right now. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll go there. But <laughs> like even just journaling and doing those things every day, I'm starting to see all the different plots going on mm. in my own life and the book, book worthy aspects of what's going on. And so if anything, it's giving me an appreciation for what I'm actually experiencing, um, and just like my storyteller, storyteller heart is, um, you know, happy with it. But yeah, that's kind of, you know, I think just having that abundance mindset and being open-handed is um, really important. And then, and understanding that if God's like, Hey, not now that does, that's not a no. Mm. And, um, and then, and just settling in that, you know, I think a lot of it's just settling and making camp in the seasons that God presents us with. 
that's so important what you just said about it's even if it's a no it doesn't mean not now Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. ministering to me because i read i think it was a devotional or Mm -hmm. someone said it to me and it really caught me off guard because they said your calling is not your identity Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, hang on a minute. No, God's called me to be a writer. I am nothing unless I'm writing. That's mm-hmm. what I was feeling. And then I just sat in it. And the more I was sitting, I was like, wow, I have to let this go because mm-hmm. it's it's not true. You mm-hmm. are a child of God. You are his, your identity in him, not the calling mm-hmm. that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to do that, it doesn't mean you have to be hustling for your calling all the time mm-hmm. in order to solidify your identity or prove that you are worthy mm-hmm. to God. And I think too, when it comes to calling, like I thought my calling was being like an author, like being that being a full-time author. But then as I started shifting gears a couple months ago, I was like, okay, I think I need to dissect this. Mm-hmm. You know, what is actually the calling? Is it to be a full-time author? And then I started cutting it up and I was like, I think I'm like, I'm a storyteller that I have the storyteller heart. The God's wired me that way, but that can be used and in, in, in help people in so many other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm a communicator. Um, you know, I love relationships. I love people. And I was like, okay, let's break this up. And I'm like, if this is more so the, the calling or even the identity of like, I'm a child of God, but also he's wired me for these things. I can be active and functioning in those things in so many different ways. And once I got to the root of it, I was like, that actually makes a lot more sense to me. And that's something that can, you know, last a lot longer. And so, yeah, I think that for me too, it was the kind of that dissecting of like, okay, my, my, I feel this calling to write, but beyond that, I'm like, this calling is to communicate and to be a storyteller and to use words to help people. And I think too, like with my social media, um, kind of coming into this new season, I'm like, okay, to read to publish my work it might not have to be on paper like maybe i can just share my experiences or share my story through this channel that is already there and so i was like maybe this can be part of the creative outlet is i can post pictures or talk about my experiences out here and see where it goes and you know even being in the space of being like okay i actually have the capacity now to just be creative for the the sake of being creative. Mm -hmm. So I picked up my guitar and I haven't done that in a really long time. Or, you know, I picked up, you know, I've now I've like dabbled in, I've started picking up poetry again and like Mm -hmm. writing just little things that I wanted to write that people might never see, but to be able to just explore that, um, you know, it's been really, really great. So yeah, I think separating calling from identity is important and then looking at calling and then pinpointing the roots of that um it's really helpful too yeah it's yeah i i like that because um we just we don't do it and imagine how freeing it is that you're now able to do that stuff and there's no pressure it's the mm-hmm. pressure cooker when we think that that everyone's watching, that we have to live up to expectations. Mm -hmm. We have to meet quotes. We have to meet contracts and all that stuff. And when that's all gone, how much better it actually turns out. And and yeah, yeah. right. That's like, that's the hard thing too. It's like, okay, I have, I have these three books with a big publisher. I was like, every, I see all these other authors are always posting about their next like deal and what's coming up next. And I'm like, I don't have anything coming up next. I need that if I want to keep going. And what if people find out the truth of like 
mm. how hard it was to people find out that you know, I was living in my parents' ba- basement for a while, you know, and traveling and doing cool stuff, sure. But then, and, but feeling that constant anxiety of like, what's after this, you know, will God provide like, and, you know, being afraid of people knowing that. And, um, you know, now to be on the side of like, okay, I'm not working on another book right now. Like it's, I'm completely open-handed. I have a job that I really like and I work with some awesome people and I love this town and I'm learning new skills. And I mean, I've been moving cattle and like I've been on horseback and have been learning about ranching and just being this, like being in a completely new environment um, and how helpful that has been. And so I'm, I'm calling this my, it's my frontier year, but it's also my, I'm, I'm living in, my whole goal is to live in freedom. I was like freedom from shame, you know, freedom from the hustle, freedom from, you know, anything that I'm bringing in with me. I'm like, I just want to live in the open and I don't want to feel like I have to filter myself. And I even think in publishing and just a little side note, I guess, but I feel like in publishing, you know, there are things I can't say, like there, there are topics I can't talk about. There are things I can't say. Um, And I think even too, I mean, I write for a Christian publisher, but I, they publish secular work. So, I mean, I write secular books, like my books aren't technically Christian, like they're considered clean, but I wouldn't consider myself like a Christian fiction author. I mean, I'm a Christian who writes books, but um, I mean, it's, it's a difference. And so even too on social media, it's like, okay, well, be careful. Like you can talk about your faith, but like, be careful how much you talk about it because you know, then people are going to put you in this Christian box. And some of my books, a lot of Christians don't like because they're like, this is, you know, their idea of clean. It looks a little different. So, I mean, I've had people come at me. Like I've actually had a lot of Christians come at me like more than the, more than like the secular industry mm-hmm. of people be like, you know, you're leading people astray or like, you're not a real Christian or, you know, people really come at me because of my books and my books are clean by industry standards, but because of, um, you know, other people's convictions, which I respect, you know, they've come at me. And so it's like, it's created this, like, Oh my goodness, I have to really hold my tongue or, you know, I don't want people to put me in these boxes or I don't want people to, I want people to, to, you know, not think that I'm, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm more successful than I am, but I was like, I don't want people to think I'm a failure. And then to enter the season of like, you know what? I don't even care. I don't even care anymore. You know, people can like my book or they can dislike my book. Doesn't really matter. You know, people can think I'm a success or they can, you know, whatever they, because at the end of the day, I'm not doing it for them. And, you know, and also at the end of the day, I know that the books are reaching who they need to. And anytime I get a message from someone who is like, your book was exactly what I needed to hear. I'm like, okay, well then it was for you. You know, it was for you. And um, yeah, so that was a long monologue to just, I guess, and simply encourage you and anyone else who's listening to live in the open, you know, to, to, to not be afraid of what other people are going to think or say, to not be afraid of whether or not you're, how you're living is measuring up to your own expectations um, to really just like to walk by calling and, and trust that, you know, God does is abundant and he gives good gifts. And as sometimes that's one of the hardest things to swallow is that God can just simply be kind and pain doesn't always lead to more pain and that, you know, there can be good things even in that disappointment. So yeah, there's my, there's my monologue. <laughs> I love your monologues. Keep them coming. <laughs> Actually, you said in a recent post, I mean, you didn't say it exactly, but your I can't remember which one it was, but it's, you said letting go isn't the same as giving up. 
-hmm. And I thought that was so profound because we often think, oh, we are not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm a failure. I've given up. But then we Mm -hmm. realize there's multiple seasons of our lives and God often pulls us away Mm -hmm. to either train us or give us rest. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. We do not have to hustle every single mm-hmm. day of our lives and i like what um one of my favorite nonfiction authors jordan rayner says he says mm-hmm. we will always die with unfinished symphonies we will mm-hmm. never accomplish and everything and that's mm-hmm. okay but it's that's, getting yeah. to that point, isn't it that's yeah that. yeah and i think too it's god is a good storyteller and every single thing in our life has a purpose even if it doesn't feel like it is it all connects i look back at at my life and I just see, I'm like, what things that didn't seem to make sense, like God has brought them all mm-hmm. together. I mean, I never thought I would have ended up here in Wyoming. I actually met, so I met Jessica Jackson, like um, she, she's, her whole family has adopted me out here and I'm obsessed with them and I love them so, so much, but I met her through a writing conference. And because I was called, like uh, they had me come out here to work and teach at a conference. And then they invited me back the next year and Jessica and I had become friends and she was like, oh, come like I live two hours away on my ranch like my family run like helps they um, manage an 80,000 acre grazing association out here and um, she was like come see it like my husband he manages this 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 property like he's a cowboy like come see and I'm from Georgia so you know I grew up around cattle farms but ranching was a new thing so I said yes thinking oh it's a bit quirky time again the power of saying yes mm-hmm. um and I came out here and completely changed my life like this I've never been so possessed by a place like I Mm. came here and I was like I have to be here like I just knew and so I kept coming out and every single time God was like like it was such an intense like draw that um every time I wasn't here it was like almost ruminating of like I have like I have to be there I have to be there and um but I would not have even come out here if it wasn't for writing and I would not have gotten the job I, I have now if it wasn't for my storytelling background. And so it's like seeing, I think, realizing that even if God shifts our course, that the past season is, is there was a purpose for our past season into our next season, no matter what that looks like. But so God is super intentional. But I think when it comes to letting go, I went skydiving a couple months ago. Um, it was a Christmas gift that I was given. I did not willingly buy that for myself. Um, and I'm not a scared person. Like I will, like I'm a, I'm very much a, you know, let's I'll, I'll do, I'll try it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of person. But that, that gave me pause. I was a little nervous. And um, so I went to the skydiving place and I was, I, I had barely slept the night before. Cause I'm just like thinking about yep. falling out of an airplane um, but once I got up into that plane and I'm tied to this little Puerto Rican woman named Kathy and she's like walking me through what's about to happen. And she has the straps so tight. Like I can just feel her body just like against me mm-hmm. and, you know, felt at peace and the door, you know, opens to the plane and I look out and it was just kind of this whelp. This is happening kind of like thought, but it was also this, okay, like I'm, I'm surrendering to the journey. Mm-hmm. Like what's going to happen is going to happen. And I just have to trust the person connected to me. Like I have mm-hmm. to trust the person who's going to be pulling the shoot. And at this point, the only thing I have to do is just let go and just we'll go with it. And I think in a lot of ways, it just taught me too that we have to trust the person connected to us. 
And I think letting go is simply like surrendering to that process of being like, okay, I really don't have any control in the situation. Um, so the only thing I can do is just, is just trust and just let go and just fall. And, um, and I think that that just that mindset of like, okay, I'm letting go, but I'm not giving up Hmm. is, was a huge shift for me of like, okay, I'm letting go of of my expectations. I'm letting go of what I think this, this should look like. I'm letting go of, the stories I still want to tell for and and putting a pin in that for now. Um, And then like on the other side of that, there's rest and there's freedom and there's, there's adventure and there's um, adrenaline. (laughs) Like if you're thinking still about falling out of a plane, you know, there's so much more on the other side of that because God wants to give us more, but he can't give us more when we're doing this. We have to be doing this. So, um, so yeah, um, that's that whole, I guess, talk on that topic <laughs> girl you are sprouting wisdom like, let's this call. go my word hey, you need wis- like wisdom or something <laughs> wisdom is gleaned from hard hard stuff so like you know with any wisdom i can give it's because it's from learning and um so i think too it's like i think from pain and through hardship like that's where that's where we learn so much and um a lot of that that can be a spring for other people you know so we just have to kind of reframe it in our heads of like, okay, I'm going to let what's hot, like the pain for me have purpose, you know, and power and for other people. And so I think there's a shift, but um, yeah, any, any wisdom I can offer, just know that there's been a lot of hard lessons, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of tears, a lot of, yes. a lot of, um, a lot of process. <laughs> That's the, that is the hard thing about learning is it often comes with a big like pull or tug. It's like, it's a whole stretching thing. I think, um, my last guest, Bella Magnificat, talked about was it's the stretching spiritually and physically that mm. that really gets you. Has there been a specific Bible verse or passage that is carrying mm. you in this new season? I would say I th- this was actually a verse that I heard. Um, actually, it was probably weeks. It was probably weeks before I even got this new job and before, uh, or even I can't remember. I think it was like when I was in this process, but it's um, Psalm ninety. I think it's Psalm 90, 15. It was, it's, a, it's Moses's Psalm. And he's like, Lord, for all the years that we have been in affliction, like mm-hmm. give us back those years, you know, for all the years we've been yes. inside us, give us back these years. And then it says like, bless the work of our hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been kind of my prayer over the season of the last five years. I mean, I graduated college at 20, you know, I couldn't even legally rent a car, you know, like, and then all of a sudden I'm in this adult world and trying to navigate this and then trying to like do the book thing. And then I was a literary agent for a little while and I was a conference speaker for a while and, you know, navigating this and then moving back to my little hometown and feeling this intense isolation. I mean, there were a lot of beautiful, amazing things that have happened in like the last five years, but there's also this like deep uncertainty, this unsettled feeling like this sense that I couldn't just rest and be at peace. You know, I didn't have a space that was really mine. I had so many questions and, um, I was, I I didn't have a lot of friends at the beginning. And by the time I left my hometown, like God had built a community for me and that was really hard to leave them. But, you know, to be in this space of just being like, you know, no matter all the good things that are happening, it was just this friction, like this constant, Mm -hmm. like I just could not like get out of it. And, um, and even just, I couldn't be in the moment. I remember going to the beach and the whole time I was thinking about my books and okay. And did has an agent emailed me today? Has a publisher emailed me today, Mm -hmm. checking obsessively checking my phone and to just be in this unhealthy cycle in a lot of ways. Um, 
I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> let me let me let me backpedal. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the script reverse like, passage. Oh, the work in my hands. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. So no, sorry. I just had that a bit ago, and I was like, wait. I was like, <laughs> that was like the end of the rope like i just went down to that trail and there was a dead end okay bring it back <laughs> no, so my prayer, so true. i'm in the same boat as you <laughs> yeah we're connecting here yeah <laughs> there we go but all that to say stepping into this season i've been like okay god for all for these past five years that in so many ways have felt like suffering um you know even in the abundance have felt the suffering i'm like lord i just pray that you will give those give me back those years mm. that you'll give us like give me back those years when it comes to community when it comes to experiences when it comes to peace and i think for me in this new place of just being like i just want peace i just want to be able to rest and just like live life and meet people and experience my story and so i think for me i'm like okay lord i want like give me back those years when it comes to to my life and living life but then also bless the work of my hands where i'm like okay god bless the work of my hands when it comes to the stories that have been written and that you know curses that comes out in the fall but um also bless the work of my hands when it comes to this new job that i have um bless the work of my hands when it comes to how i'm functioning in the community and so that's kind of been my prayer over this season of like okay give give me back these years bless it but but two, it's like, I think there's a trust in that of being like, okay, I'm trusting that you're already doing it. You know, I'm yeah. trusting that like you brought me here for that reason. But yeah, I think that's been my verse. Cause I just have been like, okay, that's whenever I feel anxiety, I just pray that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm going to find that and highlight it. Cause I am in the exact same boat as mm-hmm. you. And it is a massive trust. And I just keep saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you wherever you lead, but I'm feeling that friction. And I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I just want that peace. I want to be able to live in the mm-hmm. fruition of my work, but also be in a place with community and peace mm-hmm. with God. And just feeling like you did when you went to Wyoming, mm-hmm. where you're just like, this is my place. That's yeah. that's what I'm looking for right now. And I think the, be- the biggest advice I can give if you're in that season is to make camp in it. Cause I think a lot of times like in Christian culture, when we feel pain suffering it's like we want to put this christian band-aid on it and be like mm-hmm. like i can't i can't tell you the amount of friends who are just like have more faith <laughs> and i'm just like when the truth is faith is actually a, is supernaturally given to us yeah. so god gives us faith like it says that also about scripture like god is the source of our faith mm-hmm. and so we can't just like magically conjure up more faith no so it's like people are like oh just have more faith and i was like well i'm really feeling these intense feelings and i know god is good and i know god is trustworthy but it honestly felt like i couldn't fully validate the what i was going through and so then i kind of had to rest with that i'm like god is totally okay with us being like god i trust you but this really hurts and i i trust you but i i'm having a hard time trusting you you know like you know like help my unbelief kind of situation like i believe help my unbelief and um i think too like when we're feeling that i think one of the best things we can do is look it in the eyes and just be like okay i accept you like i i'm not gonna sweep you under a rug i'm not gonna put this band-aid on you i'm gonna acknowledge that these feelings are there and that you know that i'm wrestling with this and it's okay to be messy because mm-hmm. god wants to see that too so i think that was the biggest thing i learned was just being like okay i'm feeling all these things or god i'm having a really hard i mean to be perfectly honest with you for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of just being raw and transparent a couple of weeks before 
really this job came through. I think it was the, um, it was, I think it was like the day before it might've been the day of I ended up getting like this job offer and figuring this out. I, I was at that point where I was like, God, if you don't come through, I don't think I like, I, I wasn't about to walk away from my relationship with mm-hmm. the Lord, but I was like, God, I need to know I can trust you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in a way, this feels like a toxic relationship. It feels one-sided. I was like, God, I'm putting on, I've been putting on my stake in you and doing this. And I, and now I'm, I'm feel like I'm literally about to be homeless and no money and no prospects and all those different things. And I was like, God, if, if you don't come through, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to shape, like how I view you because if you're my provider, if you're the source, I'm like, I need to be able to see that you're driving this ship because I'm like, if you're not driving the ship, why am I giving you the, the steering wheel, you know? And that's the most raw and transparent I could possibly be. But it was at that point where it was like, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what, how our relationship is going to look on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. And you know what? God in his goodness knew that he was okay with hearing that. And he did come through. And now on the flip side of it, it's like, okay, because he's come through and show me that he is, we are a team that he is like, we are like, he's, it's not just him. And then there's me like, we are together. There's a responsibility for me too. In that I'm like, okay, well, if you're showing up, I have to continue to show up too. Cause we're in a relationship, you know, it wouldn't be a good friendship if right. one, if it's a one-sided situation. No, you have so to be in, you have same. to mm-hmm. reciprocate. You can't just yeah. have a relationship where you're doing all the work and the other person mm-hmm. isn't. It's, it, mm-hmm. you can't, it doesn't work. So, but God chose, chose himself. So I think like being in those places of being like, okay, like I was literally at this, God, I don't know what, what I'm doing now. Like, I'm like, I might walk and I love you, but also I don't know if I could put all my eggs in your basket yeah. and then to be like, okay, all the eggs are still in your basket. We're a team. We're doing this together. There's a level of responsibility, but we have to confront our mess to get to that point. And God does, God, God will show up, but we have to like look at our mess in the eyes and be okay with the wrestling with certain things. And I think we'll always wrestle with, with certain topics. You know, there'll always be things that come up in our life where we're like, okay, I'm having a feeling about this. Like I need to look, feel, I need to figure this out. Um, but yeah, that's my advice when it comes to those hard seasons is just to make camp in it and look at it. And it's not about as well, the whole thing that you were saying about Christianity, they always want to look good, look perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. walking with the Lord is like walking in a field of sunflowers or something. It's yeah, like- it's like you're walking on the beach and there's the footsteps right beside you. Yes, and when exactly. there's one footsteps, he's carrying you and you're like, huh? It's like, <laughs> no, no. And, and we forget how many chapters, how many books even are the prophets of the kings saying lord i am i am distraught mm-hmm. i want to kill myself yeah. like all this yeah. stuff it's okay yeah. and, yeah, even, it's so and it's okay. even better to say it to god because he's the one who completely understands and is the mm-hmm. only one who can truly pull you out of it and mm-hmm. and help you in the way that truly restores you back i mean i just keep thinking mm-hmm. of isn't it elijah when he just gets he's like i'm so done i'm i can't handle this anymore and god's just like you just need to sleep and some food <laughs> i say i tell people that all the time i'm like i just need to sleep and a snack and it's yep. biblical <laughs> okay sure no but i love that too i think it's easy because i think we want to put god in a box i think we want to take yep. like the bible and frame it in a way that we can understand and that like looks pretty to us you know and um i think when you're in a relationship but i think that's something i've learned too where it's like my relationship is i'm like i'm like it's independent of 
of like the religion. Like, I mean, it's part of it. Like I look, I go to church because it's a support and it's a great community, mm-hmm. but it was reaching that point of like, okay, I'm not doing this because I don't find my identity in the, in Christianity. Yeah. You know, I find my identity in God. And um, so it's been, it's been kind of a cool journey there, but it's true. Like, I mean, the Bible is, if you, if, I mean, it's messy. It's messy. God it's uses messy, messy people. Um, and I think like reckoning that of being like, okay, I don't have to be perfect. I don't, I can be messy with God and that is totally okay because God and his goodness like will restore and he, you know, will work on us. And, um, and not all lessons are painful. Like sometimes he can work on us gently. And um, so, I mean, that's, it's a really cool thing for sure. For sure. And I think that's that's with any relationship, though. If you're mm-hmm. having a perfect relationship where you never have a fight or you're always tiptoeing around each other, that's not a true relationship. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. to say you're a Christian, but you're not mm-hmm. in this relationship with God, like you can say you're a Christian, but it's that relationship that is the foundation of mm-hmm. everything else. You can go to church, mm-hmm. you can walk it, but it's just going through the motions. It's not mm-hmm. it's not the true relationship that God wants from us and that he talks about in his word. And it's a and I think all relationships have mountain and valleys. And I've had people um like older like older married friends tell me that too, where they're like, you know, your spiritual walk, it, it's not it's not a flat line. No. You know, there'll be times where you're like on this mountaintop and there'll be times when you're in this valley. And there are these like ebbs and flows with it. And I think we have to make peace with that too. And that's when we know it's like, okay, like God is consistent, you know, in, in this. And if we're looking at God directly and not through church or through scripture, you know, but like genuinely, you know, at the, at, at Lord and I, you, you can see God through scripture, but you know what I mean? Like right. having this more direct link um, to him and the understanding that like, there's going to be, there's grace in that too. Um, which is really cool. And I even have, I've even had friends who've like given me relationship advice where they're like, you know, even when you're in a relationship with another person who's trying to walk with the Lord, like their faith's not always going to look the same too. No. So it's like, you know, understanding that, understanding that whole process. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's really interesting. We could probably talk for hours about just that. <laughs> we could, we will have to do like a whole other podcast about that. But for now, cause I know we're running out of time. But you're taking a break from writing, but you do have mm-hmm. a new book out in October yes. called Curses and Other Buried Things. I finished it this weekend. <laughs> so I did enjoy it. It was, it's again, it was different from your other two books, which I Very love different. because it's, you can, you, you can, um, what's the, like, you can anticipate what's going to happen really then because <laughs> you're, you're keeping us guessing. You're, I'm like, what is she yeah. going to come out with next? And this one, it was it was a lot darker it had a heavier mm-hmm. material but it also mm-hmm. held great sentimental value to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so with curses and other buried things i will say my my publisher has been awesome with i mean they they haven't wanted me to get stuck in a certain subgenre in ya mm-hmm. um so they've given me the really the freedom to I kind of experiment with some different things and explore some different things and yeah i think i mean curses by far is it's a it's Curses and other very things. It's it's a gothic. It's heavier. It um, you know, has kind of that I guess classic Southern Gothic feel. But when it comes to family dynamics, um, I mean, it's the most personal book I've ever written because every bit of Southern culture, you know, that's inspired by like my upbringing and like my own family. And then when it comes to the drama, I guess within the the family dynamics, I mean, that was all inspired by stuff that's happened in my family. And so 
for me to kind of, I had to dig up my own, (laughs) my own stuff and look at it for the sake of this book. But one thing that I'm really passionate about um, is the idea of like breaking generational curses and like generational trauma and um, understanding those cycles. And, you know, even growing up in a family, you know, hearing things of like people indirectly saying, oh, like that's just, that's the George family curse, you know, that's a joke, you know, things like that or things people have said to me like, oh, you're like that because of X, Y, Z, you know, and we carry words with us. Like we carry things with us. It has a lot of power. And so when working with this book, I was like, I really want to write this and encourage other people to, you know, to figure out like how to break these generational curses Mm -hmm. and really spoiler, spoiler alert, like really the, the, the way to break generational curses is simply talk about it like to get it into the open. And I think so many times, like we, especially families, you know, we sweep things under the rug when in reality, like we have to look at it. And um, I think too, when it comes to writing the book, um, I didn't realize how heavy it would be for me to write um, because I thought I had already reckoned with certain things, but it wasn't until I was like in the story and learning about this kind of stuff where things started clicking. I mean, we carry trauma from our grandmother, like in our, in our DNA, like we carry our, even our grandma's emotions, you know, we carry our mother's experiences with us. We like, there are fears that each of us has. That's like not even based on our own experiences. Like there's something that we, that has been given to us. And like, even that I was like, Oh my goodness, that makes so much sense for X, Y, Z. And then, but then having to instead receive that with anger or shame or whatever, to look at that and be like, you know what? I receive you, but you're not going to determine my future. Like Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to function not in that. And um, so it's, it was a really enlightening process. And I think if anything, it taught me to have more compassion too for my family and like family background. you know, and forgive and, and then just make my own decision of how I'm going to respond to it. And um, I like to think of it as like, you're given a deck of cards in life. Like, you know, you're handed a deck of cards. It has a unique mix of blessings and burdens that are just for you. Um, but is life about the cards? No, it's about how you play the game. It's about our response to what we're handed. And um, I think it's easy to be resentful about things that that bad things that were handed to us in life when um you're like okay i can reframe this that what's been handed to me does not determine where i'm going to go or my future um so yeah the book is a little bit heavier but um it's the one i'm most proud of um and i'll i'll leave it up to i guess the readers to decide what they think is real and what's what's not real um my parents have read the book. I was surprised that my dad read it, but he, I think he finished it. So he liked he it. He liked it, yeah. I was gonna and I was really it. nervous. I was really nervous, but he liked it. So that's been good. <laughs> yeah, that's good when it's their history. I mean, yeah. I think, I want to say if anyone reads it, or you should read it, but when you do, uh, unless you don't want a spoiler, even though Caroline kind of said a spoiler, is to read the author's note before you start reading it. Because I remember mm. I'm reading it and I'm just like, where is this going? How's it going? Because I know your faith. But I'm like, how, this is, it's so dark. There's things going on. I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. like, is it all curses? How mm-hmm. is it? Is it a play of witchcraft kind of thing? I was, I was mm-hmm. curious at first because I'm like, okay. Cause um, Susanna Yawn, I think is the one mm-hmm. in the 18th, mm-hmm. uh, 1800s. And mm-hmm. so she's like cursing towns and things. I'm just like, 
hmm, how is this going? But then reading your author's note, mm -hmm. it all came together. And now I'm like, okay, now I need to reread it. <laughs> well, I think too, it's like the idea of the curse is not the supernatural thing. Exactly. Like, I think like, you know, there's that folk tale aspect of being yeah. like, and I guess it's a little spoiler, but like there's this folktale aspect of being like, yes, we have this like mystical, fun little thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, and that's just like classic folktale, but dissecting that more, we curse people. We do when that's we carry true. curses. And I think that that was like even the core. I, so a little, I guess, background. I was in the Okefenokee Swamp with my family. We were visiting our family, like family land down there. And I was looking into the swamp water and it's black, it's glossy. You can only see your reflection. I mean, you can really see your reflection in this dark water. People don't swim in it, but it's like chock full of gators and snapping turtles. And that's why people don't swim in it because, you know, it bites. And it kind of hit me where I'm like, we have things that bite that lurk beneath the surface, you know, that we spend our whole life living around it. You know, we look we see our reflect, we see ourselves reflected in it. But there are things that we will, that we, that bite, that lurk beneath the surface that we don't address. Mm -hmm. And that's where the whole idea came from of like, we sleepwalk through life a lot of times completely unaware of what's, of what's going on subconsciously or like what's mm -hmm. going on, like what's lurking beneath the surface. And we have to call it out sometimes. And so the idea of the curse was less a witchcraft or, yeah. you know, magic and more about this metaphor of how the things we say to people hold power, but also we give power to things that people say to you. You know, we, we allow the curse to take root. You know, the power of belief is, is huge, you know? And so I think to it, like, it's a challenge to be careful with our words. You know, when we label someone, when we say something to someone, they can carry that with them their whole life. And so I think there's this exchange of being like, I will not be the curse, but I also won't be the cursor you know, and choosing to walk in freedom because free people do free other people. So when we're living in freedom, we're actually um, silently giving other people the freedom to do the same. So um, that's kind of where all of that came from um, was this kind of this challenge, this call to action really to, you know, not be the curse cursor, but also to call out what has been hidden in the depths. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, that's, you've changed the book for me now because when we think of curses, almost straight away, we're like, ooh, is this going to be like a like, sci-fi thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're thinking curse. <laughs> and so that's kind of, that's when I started reading, I was like, hmm. But as I'm going through it, I'm like, okay, it's not that. And then mm -hmm. as you're speaking, I'm like, wow, okay, it's all coming together. And like I yeah. said, I'm going to have to reread it now. Because yeah, look for, look for those so things. <laughs> yeah, because it's so true. Because we do curse people and it's not mm -hmm. this form of witchcraft. It's this real mm -hmm. thing. And, and then how do you break through it? And how do you yeah, break when we function in belief, things happen. Yeah. So it's like... And when we, when we believe we're cursed or when we believe, so it's like, if someone's like, oh, you're this, if you believe that, so mm -hmm. it's, it's psychology, it's fulfillment of self-prophecy. Yeah. So it's our self-fulfillment of prophecy where it's like, we receive something, we hold it as truth and we actually end up making it true because of how we're living in it. And so it's this idea of like this idea of being cursed. It's not supernatural because and even if you read the book, like you can see how so many things are sparked by characters' decisions because they are believing this about themselves. And so that's what's so crazy is that we, if we're walking in something, you know, if we're living in something like it's going to, it's going to play out in our life until yeah. we can say, you know what, I'm not, at the, I'm, I'm, I see it, 
I know it's there, but I'm choosing to walk away from it. And that's not going to be my story. And that's powerful. So everyone that's listening, go and check out curses and other things. <laughs> Caroline, thank you for taking the time to be with us. I think it's so important uh, that we realize God's calling on our lives isn't as linear as we might think. Sometimes we must go um, and walk into something new and greater um, that's waiting us on the other side mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have to be in line with what we thought uh, we were expecting or what mm -hmm. we had imagined. So I look forward to watching what God does as you settle into your ranch life. And I hope we'll stay in touch beyond this interview. <laughs> of course, we're friends. Of course, we'll stay in touch. <laughs> and have well, thank you so much for having me. Notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's me. I send so many voice memos. It's not even funny. I, I feel love bad it. for everybody. <laughs> My best friend and I, we are now calling our voice notes podcast because they're oh, yeah, podcast, 15 minutes sure. long. Oh, yeah. And then we go, it's like the one sided podcast. And then it goes to the next person. And we love yep. it. So do yep, it. Yeah, the no podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, so nice to meet you. You too. Or did I get to the screen? <laughs> <laughs> well, Curses and Other Buried Things is available now for pre order. <laughs> However, if you don't want to wait until October, to read one of Caroline George's marvelous novels. Head to the description box below for the links to all her books and social media accounts. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on social media to stay updated on all the up upcoming episodes of Uncancelled Faith. Let's keep the conversation going and continue to break the culture of division which so often separates us from one another. Until next time, God bless.